Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey everyone, I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down is just around the corner from launching into the world. You can pre-order a copy right now wherever you are in the world. Just head to the link in the show notes below in order to get your own copy. It's available in Kindle, hardcover, and it will soon be available in audio book, which I will be narrating. I'm very excited about that. Uh, But hope you guys can get a copy. Hope you support the show, myself and yourself as well, because that's what the, the book is really, really speaking to. Thank you all very much. All right, time to enjoy the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. My friends, it is book launch week. My very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, launched September 27th, so on Tuesday of this week, which has been a mind-blowing whole emotional roller coaster ride. And as well, mixed in with that, we hit 400 episodes on Monday with the episode with Matthew West. If you haven't listened to that, go and listen to that one as well. I also did a personal reflection and sharing uh, why you guys, hopefully you should have already gotten your copy of my very first book. And the really, the journey it's been to get to episode 400. But today, my friends, it is all about my next guest, who is an incredible human being. I actually saved this conversation for pretty much this time (laughs) because I wanted it to be special. My guest today is Kemi Nekvapil. Now, for those of you that don't know who she is, she is one of a kind. She's a coach. She's a speaker. She's a best-selling author as well. And her origin story, as Kemi puts in her own words, her story is not her excuse. It's her why. As a black child raised by five sets of white foster parents, some incredibly loving, some not so much, she always felt that she had to prove her own worth so that she would be allowed to stay, quote. She had to be not only a good girl, but a good black girl. She had no say in where she would live or who her new mum and dad would be or where 
she would be living next. She was always told to be thankful and always be grateful for what she had, to never ask for more and to never rock the boat. And now with 30 years of professional and uh, personal development in her bones, things have changed. Professionally, she is an ICF uh, credentialed coach and nearly a decade of ethical coaching under her belt. She works with women primarily who want to lead value-based and empowerment lives. She has a book actually called Power, which you can go and get a copy of wherever books are sold pretty much. But essentially, the, the main underlying message of that is um, talking about a woman's guide to living and leading without apology. It's about presence or power uh, in a, an acronym setting is presence to understand what is and isn't working in our lives, ownership of personal narratives, especially our, our power stories, wisdom about our needs, boundaries, and growth, equality as pilot our diverse human family, all of us are worthy, responsibility, for our choices, healing, and happiness. The world does not need more um, busy women. It needs present and powerful women, as Kimmy says. Blending inspiring stories with reflective uh, coaching practices, power provides the tools to navigate the challenges that impact who we are from discrimination and burnout to trauma and self-doubt, among many, many other areas that um, Kimmy talks about in her brand new book, Power. So my friends, while we are celebrating 400 episodes as well as the launch of my book, I thought it would be a good idea to release an episode like this one to also encourage you a little bit more. And if you are a woman listening to this, even better. But Kemi doesn't just speak to women, by the way. She does speak to males as well. Her audience is primarily women, I believe, but uh, I find her her message somewhat inspirational as well. So I hope that you guys get a lot out of this nonetheless. All right, my friends, like I said, it's book launch, book launch week. If I can get it out of my mouth, I'm just so excited. Uh, but if you haven't got a copy yet, Highly encourage you all to go and get a copy. Links to basically get your copy now is available in the show notes below. You can check out uh, the storyboxpodcast.com slash book website to make it easier for you. Uh, but yeah, everything is is there for you to find where you can get your own copy. If you are in America or Australia, uh, pretty much wherever you are, you can get a copy. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box and listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Kemi Nekvapil. It is such a pleasure to be here with you today, Jay. Thank you so much for making the time. The pleasure is all mine, really. I am so much looking forward to unboxing your incredible story and the wisdom and the advice and the advice, sorry that you carry. My very first question for you though is a question that I love starting off with all my guests. It is, what does success look like to you? Ah, oh, great question. That is such a complex question. Look, I would say I, I attribute this to Tony Robbins, but I'm not sure that he said this. 
But I remember reading it and it resonated for me at the time, which is success is doing what I want to do with whom I want to do it, when I want to do it, where I want to do it for as long as I want to do it. I think for me, that kind of encapsulates everything. It encapsulates work. It encapsulates relationships and, you know, being in beautiful environments, spending time with energizing and supportive people. For me, that success that you have a balance in the areas of life that are important to you. It's definitely not the patriarchal form of success, which I don't believe works for men or women of that kind of constant grind, 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 have to keep striving, have to keep striving. And that there are many costs to that form of success. So for me, it is really being grounded in where I am with who I want to be doing the work that I want to be doing. Why is that success for you? When was the moment that you realized that this in fact was success? Was there a catalyst moment somewhere or was it more like gradual things that you just realized over time? I think for me as someone that's really been deep in personal development work for over 30 years now, and I mean my own, doing my own work, mm. is that you always have, and this is why I love this kind of genre and this industry is that you have little light bulb moments, you know, you read one book or you see one speaker or, and they build up on top of each other. I think for me, success, especially as a black woman navigating predominantly white spaces, being able to own who I am 100% without apology is success for me. So I remember a few years ago, standing on stage, you know, doing my work, facilitating for the audience and just having this feeling as I stepped off of the stage of, it has taken me so long to realize that it's okay to navigate the world 100% as who I am. And that that brings me the sense of fulfillment and contentment that many people want. And it takes hard work to get there, as I know that you would know that, you know, we, when we look inward and we take responsibility for our own lives and our own journey, journey, it's not pretty, you know, it can be confronting. And yet I think it's the most rewarding gift we can give to ourselves and for those people around us. I definitely agree with you that it is such a rewarding gift that we can give ourselves. And I think that mm. we're always on this journey of life and healing from a lot of the craziness that has no doubt gone on in one's life. I know I have, Mm. and I'm still going on it. But for those people that don't want to go down this this healing path and uh, this journey of life, what would you say to them? How would you encourage them to go on, on the healing journey? It's an interesting thing. I have to be really careful. And I say this often as a coach, I don't give advice. Mm. And the reason I don't do that is because it can be really disempowering for people. What I try to do as a coach is create a safe space for people to show up for themselves with themselves. So what I would say around that is that if people aren't ready, they're just not ready. You know, like it's, it can actually become psychologically damaging for people to feel pushed into work they are not ready to do. I think for those of us that you know really do embrace this work, compassion for other people looks like knowing they are living their life, they're on their journey. We can be here to support them, but ultimately when they need to take responsibility for how their life is gonna look and we cannot, and I don't think it's kind to push people into things they're not ready for. Yeah, it's kind of like that you can, lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. I'll make a drink. Yeah. yeah I like yep. that. And and yep. forcing someone just shuts them off as well. Oh yeah. And I'll be honest, I had someone do that to me many, many years ago. You know, they'd done a particular course. They thought it was the course. It would change my life forever. 
But the way they did it was actually emotional blackmail, manipulation. It made me feel really bad about myself, like I was doing life wrong somehow. Mm -hmm. And it was the good thing about that. What I learned from that was I don't ever, ever want to make anyone feel the way that I was made to feel because I did not want to do, you know, the course. Um, So I think definitely when we learn how to have compassion for ourselves, one of the gifts of that is that we can have compassion and empathy for other people. It's kind of a massive guilt trip. Right. You make Yeah. Oh, it's horrible. It's I yeah, I don't I don't like it. I even don't like to be honest, Jay, where people necessarily, you know, share their systems or their processes in a way that can set some people up to think, oh, I can't wake up at that time. I can't journal for that amount of time. I can't do yoga. I can't eat the kale. I can't eat the so although the intention is one to elevate and support people, it can actually, especially women, because there's so much out there that tells women all the time that we're broken and that we need to be fixed. And we internalize that. So we think, oh, that person will fix me. Oh, that person will fix me. I just need to eat that food or do that thing. And that will fix me. And my message is we're not broken. We have to navigate a system. And then especially those of us that have intersectionality, whether that's race, whether that's um, you know, disabilities, whether that's how we identify sexuality, those of us living within the intersectionality of that have been made to feel broken so much. And so I really try and move away from any sort of languaging that sits in, I'm here to fix you. You know, I'm very clear that my role as a credentialed coach is to be a non-judgmental safe space for people to show up for themselves. You mentioned something interesting there that I sort of want to touch on. I think you can speak a lot to this with your new book. Why is it that women, especially these days, uh, are made to feel like they are broken? Is it more cultural, systemic, that sort of thing? All of it, Jay. It's all of it. You know, when we add the cultural systems in place, the familial systems in place, like there, there are so many things that women have to navigate. And I was actually asked the other day, a really great question, which was, if you could go back in history and change one thing, what would it be? And that, you know, that's a question that you could ponder for years before you give the answer, but I didn't have years. Um, And I actually said, you know, obviously, you know, we could go to various genocides and various things. I said, but actually, I think the moment I would like to change was the moment it was decided that women had no power and that we, and that we believed it. Mm. And I actually think when we look back on history, women were literally burnt at the stake because of the level of power that we have had. And so, you know, my book talks about as women, we're very smart, we're strategic. We will step in and out of our power all the time. Sometimes it's taken away from us. Sometimes we give it away because we know that in that particular environment, and I'm talking about the boardroom for executives or even our extended family Christmas dinner, you know, that we know that we need to give our power away because that is what's going to make things work at that particular time. What I've aimed to do within the book is to create a structure and a framework that when we lose our power or when it's taken away from us, that we have the tools to build it back up again for ourselves and for each other. I remember reading the story of Joan of Arc back in the day. Yep. She's yep. one of the powerful women's women. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, <Yep>. women's. <laughs> well, she, probably, she probably kind of was more than one woman. She probably was women's. I swear she was. <laughs> she just had this. The reading, reading her story was like it, extremely powerful. And even as a young yeah. kid, I'm like, this woman was yeah. heroic and she just went yeah. out there and, and had a massive cause about her. And then she ended up yeah. getting burned at the stake. Yeah. But she yeah. went out knowing her authentic self, she did yep. what she needed to do. 
Yeah, and absolutely. it's women like that that sort of paved the way for future generations. And I, I really mm. believe that. Like, I think it's it's great to look back on those times and and be inspired by them, but also to be aware that how much of it has really changed today. Is it just a different sort of level of burning at the stake? You're just burning people yeah. mentally and emotionally and physically in, in a sense. It's- yeah, 100%. It kind of is. I think that's why for so many women, we're scared to use our voices. We're, sta- we're scared to stand up because we have that kind of physiological response. We know that it can be dangerous, that it can be physically dangerous. It can be emotionally and psychologically dangerous for us, which is why it's important as well that we stand together as a collective there are, you know, and we know as well, you know, when you look at certain people in certain industries, maybe if they have a social media presence, a man can do one particular thing and then a woman does it and the, you know, it is so, what's the word I'm looking for? It is so exacting the revenge for a woman having a voice and it's so predictable, but it can still have a woman run back into the corner and be quiet. So the systems are very, very powerful. And I also think, to be honest as well, when we flip that and look at how these systems don't support men either, you know, that this kind of patriarchal model that men have to only be the providers, they can't have emotions, they can't be vulnerable. We know statistically, especially here in Australia, when you look at suicide rates of young men, because they don't feel they have an outlet to share I am drowning, I am scared, I am confused, I don't know what to do. And because of that, it feels like the easiest thing is to take one's own life than to actually reach out and ask for help. So these systems that have supported the world for centuries now do not work. They do not work for men, women, non-binary people, trans people. They say they just don't work anymore. And this is an opportunity that we now have as a collective. I remember reading not that long ago that one of the biggest statistics was the men do commit suicide and yeah. that just like my heart aches because yeah. I'm I'm really passionate about suicide prevention and, and mental health having been someone that attempted to end his own life not that long ago mm. so like all these things because I felt like I had no hope I, I felt like I was a drowning rat yeah. in this cultural society and I felt like I had no hope and yeah. this is a white guy saying that like I'm a male too. I'm meant to have this everything laid out for him, sort yeah. of sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah, it's crazy. Like there's a lot of people out there that feel exactly like me, but they don't reach out. They don't have any sort of hope whatsoever. And it's sad. It needs to change. But how can we make a change, Kemi? Yeah, well, one thing I want to sort of say, because I I want to meet you where you are as well, is that I, at 14, tried to take my own life Mm -hmm. for the reason of being a young black girl in all white spaces, feeling and being told daily that I did not belong in the places that I was. And so, you know, the pain of that and the suffering of that of like, maybe it's just better if I'm not here. And I think it's important. I love how vulnerable you've just been in sharing that. I'm sure that your regular listeners know that. But also, you know, I want to add that's my experience too, because it just, just, not that we want to normalise suicide in any way, but I think we can all get to points where it feels like the only way for the suffering and the pain to go is to take such a big action. And yet, if we are able to ask for help, if we are able to admit that we're drowning, that there is support there. Um, and, And, you know, I don't, No, I'm not a trained psychologist. I have to be really kind of careful of what I say around this. But 
What I do know is that there's a beautiful program. I don't know if you've watched it, Jay, which is that you can't ask that. And it was people interviewed that had tried to commit suicide, but eventually had failed for whatever reasons. Mm. And then they were asked, you know, a year on, how does it feel that you tried that? What have been the repercussions? And only one of the people that actually, you know, had very serious mental health issues said, look, it is a constant fight for me every single day to be here. But everyone else, I think maybe out of the seven people had said, I'm so glad it didn't work because now I can see that I live a life now that I never imagined for myself. And I think that's moving that on to kind of just personal development space without, without looking at it through the lens of suicide and suicide ideation is that sometimes we look, we're in a particular season in our lives and it looks like there's no way out. And yet there are so many beautiful stories of people that have been there and that have done the work, whether that's internal work or asking for help, and actually the life they live now or the way they feel about themselves is just night and day. And I think that's a hope that we can all hold on to. So thank you for sharing that because for me, listening to it, like my my suicide attempt, it was failed because I, I literally went to attempt to like crash my car 130, 140 kilometers an hour into a pole. And then it was like this miracle moment happened and I was saved. And it was in, it was interesting because I just broke down in tears after that. Like, yeah, it's hard to revisit each and every time I do. It's like, I'm still here sort of thing. I'm still alive. Yeah. And, yeah. and you, you think about it as well, like a lot of people that attempt it or even fall through with it, a lot of them, they don't want to do it, if that yeah. makes sense. Like I didn't want to do it. That yeah. was my last my last resort. Yeah. I felt like it was So glad you're resort. here. So glad you're here, Jay. I am too. And I'm glad you're here too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me <laughs> like, too. <laughs> honestly. Uh, yeah. But I wanted to ask you, Kimmy, like, why did you want to be a coach? Why did you want to start this work? Why did you want to do books, speaking, all these amazing things? I've actually had, I'm one of those people that has had a portfolio career um, in terms that I left school. I went into baking. I went from baking to chefing. Hmm. I went from chefing to drama school. So I was actually an actor for seven years in England, starting on TV for three and a half years and then moving on to the Royal Shakespeare Company and then the National Theatre. Before I realised I love this job, it is fun, but I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I didn't know what I wanted to do at that time. But as someone that had trained as a baker and chef, I knew at that time the only thing that really filled me up was playing with food every single day. And so I went back to chefing and I remember, you know, after seven years of acting, which is a very different community and environment than chefs. I'm sure people could imagine the differences. And I remember at the end of the night, like a Saturday night service, I just love the dance that chefs have on a Saturday, Friday night service when the restaurant is full and you're literally moving around each other. You have to preempt people's actions. And I remember kind of sitting on the couches at midnight and just thinking, oh, I'm so glad I've come back home. You know, it just felt so good. And then from there, I trained as a, well, I'd started doing yoga, actually. And I've been doing yoga for a while. I decided, actually, I want to train as a yoga teacher. And I taught yoga for a while, but then realized I can't trade yoga as a business. I need it for me so that it can be the foundation for my life to do the things that I want to do. And so all of those things, the yoga and the chefing and the acting, 
you know, I think Steve, Steve Jobs said it, you know, when you look back, you realize, oh, it made sense that I did this and this and this. And I would say the things for me that have woven all the way through is that I've always done what I have been passionate about. And because I, I come from a childhood of being in foster care, I was one of the tens of thousands of Nigerian children that were fostered by their middle white, uh, middle class, sorry, Nigerian parents to white families in England in the 1970s and 80s. So I had including my birth mother, six primary carers growing up. There are lots of negatives, 100%. You know, I've had to deal with my own healing and trauma around being fostered and being moved so much. But one of the positives from that is that it's really easy for me to stop things. You know, like I know what it is to be in something and then for it to stop. In my childhood, it wasn't my decision that suddenly I had a new mum and dad the next week or the next few years. But as an adult, I know that you can leave something or be taken away from something and there may be grief and there may be healing, but that actually it's okay. And I know that for many people, the idea of leaving what they know is so paralyzing that they will stay in situations that no longer work for them. So, you know, I've always been able to do what I've been passionate about. And then I did a personal development course and I remember just seeing one of the coaches and thinking, watching her weave her magic. It looked like magic to me. And I thought, wow, to be able to create the space for people to really honor who they are and to be with them and let them know that their fears and their confusion and their worries are human and they're valid. And so are their dreams and their desires. It was just a seed that was sown at that time. And then I just, you know, from other work I was doing through speaking and I started doing some raw food work here in Australia. It's funny when I talk about it, I'm like, gosh, it's quite a lot of things. Um, <laughs> I, Because of my chefing, I arrived in Australia and I started really getting into raw food for myself in terms of like add really good food to your body and it will give you the energy to do the things that you want to do. But what I realized when I was running those classes for women, especially I'd occasionally have a guy in the class, but it was mainly women. I would say to them, this isn't about weight. This is not about dress size. This is about fueling your body to do the things that you want to do in your life. And yet women would still come up to me at the end of the class and say, what has more calories, cucumber or celery? And at the beginning, I'd kind of laugh it off and just kind of think that was funny. But then I realized that so many women were waiting to lose the last five kilos before they started living their life. And then I started getting really angry because I felt like this is part of this system that we are told as women that our worth comes from how we look, how thin we are, how meek we are, how long our eyelashes are, how sort of small we can become physically, that that's our value. And so I decided then I want to create a space for women that even if what happens if you never lose the five kilos, like what happens if you never lose it? You're just going to put everything off until that day. And so that's when I heard about coaching and decided I wanted to train with the International International Coaching Federation so that I had a governing body behind me, that I had ethics and guidelines that I have to adhere to as a coach. And I would say since then, it's um it's been an absolute privilege. And I speak because I love, I just love speaking to large audiences, but I also always have a coaching component when I speak in front of audiences because I don't you know, a lot of speakers inspire and I think that's wonderful, but I sometimes feel that creates a disconnection between the audience and the speaker. So the audience is like that person up there is inspiring, but they don't necessarily resonate with how does that, how does that, um, how does that affect me and my life? So for me, I talk about, it's not my job to inspire you. It's my job to create a space to empower you so that you can inspire yourself because that is more sustainable, that we inspire ourselves. I think, 
transformation is more powerful, to be honest. Yeah. Like having yeah. that mindset of feel like you are empowered yes. to, in, to be inspired to transform your life yeah. Yeah. in the best way possible. 100%. And we know transformation is not easy. No. You know, it's not, it, it does not always involve ease. I think we get to a point where ease is definitely a part of it because we have an ease of ourselves and we have an ease and ownership of our story and our journey. But it's not. It, it can be really messy, confronting work. And I would imagine that the people listening to this are up for that as they wouldn't be your listeners, you know, um, or on the road to that and kind of exploring that if they're not deep in the middle of it. And there are always those moments of absolute pure delight, 100%. But sometimes the journey itself can be challenging. 100%. It can be. <laughs> Kimmy, what, what does it mean to be a woman in a position of leadership today? Oh, what does it mean? It gives me so much hope and excitement. Um, I recently had an email from a dear friend who's also a leadership coach here in Australia who is stuck in the floods. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, I said, you know, the, the feeling at the moment is that our government has not stepped up and people have not felt seen and they have not felt heard. And I said to her, I'm just so, I can't imagine how thankful people would be to have you around them because not only are you in it, experiencing it, you can be present to their pain. You can listen to them. You can hear them. And you know that leadership is about humanity. So that's what excites me. And obviously I also know lots of incredible men who are willing to look at what they have thought leadership is, what they have been told leadership is, that is kind of omnipresent, all-knowing, which is very isolating for that form of leader. The pressure of feeling like you have to know everything not only is a pressure on that leader, but it also disempowers everyone else around you because we have to let go of our ego to go, I don't know everything, but I know that, you know, Zainab knows a lot more about this than I know about this. Or I know that Philip is really on board with this. So I'm going to bring him in because he knows about this. And then we create teams where everyone's value is, um, is recognized, but, you know, to be a woman leader at the moment is it's a gift. I, I believe it's a gift because generally women are collaborative the women that I operate in and around and my clients, we want to support each other to make the impacts that we want to make in the world. There's a, there's an energy of abundance, you know, this old form of power, which, which we are seeing played out in the world right now, this power over model as Brene talks about it, where if I have power, it's mine. I have to hold on to it tight. Um, and I have to make sure that no one else can have it as opposed to a form of power that I talk about in my book, which is, if I have power, I am grounded enough in myself and in my sense of power that I want to support and empower your power. And then you will do the same for the next person and the next person and the next person. So as a female leader at this time, I'm incredibly hopeful. There's a lot of work that we have done and I stand on the shoulders of many women before me. There's work still to be done. And I believe in looking at that through a lens of hope. You also have the word power as sort of like an acronym which mm -hmm. I, I think is pretty clever, presence, ownership, wisdom, equality, and responsibility. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. How did you come up with that? <laughs> I love when people ask me this question because um, I don't really like the term woo-woo because I think it diminishes <laughs> that there are more than, you know, there's more than one energy, you know. So I'm not going to say woo-woo, but I would say that it was a divine download or it was a spiritual moment. Um, I'm not religious, but I definitely believe in things that are bigger than me. 
um, I just knew one night I thought I need to bring all of these stories together and I know the answer to the structure of this book is in the word power and I don't know what it is. And I wrote down the word power before I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning, I did my meditation and it just came to me in my meditation, just straight presence, ownership, wisdom, equality, responsibility. And I just knew, okay, that's it. Thank you, universe. I will run with that. And what was interesting, then I took the time to really sit and think about, okay, so what is it about presence? What is it about ownership and wisdom and equality that gives us a sense of power? And my intention in the book is to put in those stories and those coaching processes that the reader can understand and also feel that when we are able to hold on to those power principles, we can rebuild our power again and again and again. How much power is too much power? Oh, I think it's the form of power. So once again, I think if we're going in for dominance and we're using power as a way to shame and belittle others, there's, there's too much of that going on. But when we're using power as an energy source to ground ourselves and to validate ourselves and using that to ground others as well, I think we can't have too much power. The Oxford De Dictionary definition of power is the ability to do something or act in a particular way. Mm. So depending on how we choose to act will depend whether or not we have too much power. Yeah, I like that. I've spoken to Robert Greene about power and why people yes. crave it all the time. Yes. It's just like this yep. fascinating thing for me. Like yeah. throughout history, men and women have craved different forms of power and yeah. it's either been a good thing it's, or it's been yeah. an incredibly bad thing. And I think yes. we're seeing a lot of it unfold <laughs> yeah. at the moment. And yeah. I don't know whether or not it's good. We'll have to see. But there's a lot of bad power out there currently. There's a lot of, I like that, bad power. There's a lot of bad power out there. And actually I had a journalist read the book and she said to me, this is the thing I've had to sort of redefine the word power, hence looking at the dictionary definition of it, like what actually is it compared to what we think it is? Mm. And she said that as she was, you know, for her power, who wants that? That's horrible. I've had power done to me. It's made me feel, I don't want any form of that. And I think many of us have moved away from that model. But she said in reading the book, what I realized that there was a sense of lightness about this power and that I wanted it. I actually felt like I want this power because with this form of power, I can do good for myself and for other people. And I hadn't thought of that when I was writing the book. And it's lovely to hear that that was her interpretation of it. Power was something I didn't want, but I now understand what power actually is. And I want it for myself so that I can share it in a good way with other people. Yeah, it's uh it's a selfless sort of power in a way. Yeah. Like yeah, one hundred yeah. Yeah, I think so. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also just just to kind of break down the principles, you know, presence is about being present to who we are and what is working and not what is not working in our lives. And that if we're not present to ourselves and other people, we miss we miss a big part of our humanity. Yeah. Ownership is about owning our stories, who, you know, the stories we've been told, the stories we've experienced, those we've seen and those we have created. So many of us have parts of our story that we're ashamed of or that we think we will be cast out if we share them. And yet it is our stories that make us who we are. Wisdom, we all have an internal innate wisdom and let we tend to outsource our lives to other people thinking that they know best. 100%. It is good to have an inner circle of people in which you ask questions of and ask their opinions. 
But a lot of people don't have an inner circle. They're just literally just outsourcing their lives all the time. Yeah. Equality is around this idea that, yes, we must all contribute to global equality in whatever way we can. But as a coach, as someone that works with executives, you know, in ASX listed companies, and I'm a facilitator for the Hunger Project. So I find myself in Uganda in rural villages. And I know that the humanity of the people in those villages and the humanity of the executives I work with, exactly the same. They have different external resources, but their internal resources are exactly the same, same humanity. And then with, with responsibility, which is kind of my favorite tool, is that once we become responsible for our lives, then we have power. Even if we're in a really dark place, when we decide no one is coming to save me, I have to make the hard choices here, there is a form of power there. I like that. I don't know if you know who Jocko Willick is, but he- Oh, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, extreme yep. ownership. Just, just a couple of times, just through Tribe of Mentors and his interview with Tim Ferriss. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. I, I love that conversation. That was probably the deepest conversation I've ever heard mm. him do, <laughs> to be honest. Mm. Yep. Um, him and Tim dug real deep. Uh, but what I loved about his book and what I love about combination, how it ties into it is the level of ownership that you give to your story and say, look, I own this, the good, yeah. the bad, the ugly, everything. Yeah. And I'm willing to to share it with others in, in the, in the hope that it might help them in some yeah. way, take ownership yeah. of their own story too, and then share it around. That is yeah. powerful. That is exactly, that is powerful. And it takes so much energy to hide who we are. And I felt that very much as a young girl, I had to hide, which is kind of ironic because I was always only the only black person in the room. So I kind of couldn't hide, <laughs> but I, I knew I was told I had to be very good and very small and stay in the background and be grateful for what I had and not rock the boat in any way. Yeah. So then to actually get to the point where it was like, no, I come from a lineage of women who are the masters of the home and the field. And because of colonization, we're made to believe this is wrong. This is not how it works in England. We need to be changing up this structure. But I know where I come from. I know where that strength and that power and those women come from. And it's taken me, you know, doing my work to own that and not hide that. I used to walk into rooms, Jay, and the mantra in my head was, do not let anyone be intimidated by you. Make sure you're nice. Be nice make sure you're nice. Do not say too much. Do not have an opinion. Just be nice. I lived like that for nearly a decade. It was exhausting. And what I focus on now is not nice, but kind. Yeah. I want to be a kind person, which I believe takes work because we all have our inner biases about various things and various people. But I definitely am at a point in my life where I don't have time. I'm 47. Maybe I've got 30 years left if I'm lucky. I do not want to spend it hiding. Mm. I'm the same. I'm 25, still got yep. hopefully a long, long time left. Long, long, long time. But I say being authentically kind. Yeah. That's just part of who I am as a person. Yeah. And I guess there's there's a limit to how much I am kind towards someone if they're being mean to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I shouldn't have to cop it. Like there's obviously that that level of kindness. I can still show it back to them, but... Yeah, I just agree with what you were saying there. Kemi, I do want to be respectful of your time. Uh, two quick final questions, if that's all right with you. 100%. Um, because we've been speaking about stories and, and the power of stories, I'm curious, what do you love the most about yourself and your story? Oh, what a great question. 
I love about myself that who I am is how I present. You know, going back to this story, I remember actually a dear friend who did who did take their own life and I was at their wake and we all only knew parts of who they were. None of us had the whole picture of who they were. And I remember leaving that gathering and thinking, when it comes to my time to not be here, I want the people in my life to know who I really was, my light and my shadow. I don't, once again, I don't want to hide. So that's what I love about myself, that who I show up to be in one space now is exactly who my children, my teenagers see me to be, is who my husband, my close friends, even my clients. I am the same person wherever I show up. That's what I love about myself. Um, Can I have another thing that I love about myself? Go for it. (laughs) I also love about myself, my absolute commitment to bringing joy and beauty and delight to the world. I know that we are going through very dark times in many ways. And yet I believe in the power of joy and beauty and delight and rest. And I'm an advocate for all of those things. What was the other question? What do you love the most about your story? Oh, that it's mine and that I rewrote it. I love that answer. That was beautiful. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> the felt, kind that of, one. felt that one. That, that was amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Where can people buy your new book, Kemi? Where do you want them to support you the most? Before I ask you my final question. I would say for Aussie buyers that are buying um, online, definitely check out Booktopia. Um, For everyone else, you can get it internationally through Book Depository and also Audible has both books, Power and The Gift of Asking. And people can come and find me. I am where I am everywhere. So I'm Kemi Netkapil everywhere, which is kind of what I said in my answer. So K-E-M-I-N-E-K-V-A-P-I-L. But I'm sure, Jay, you'll have that in the show notes. But yeah, that's where people can find me. I'll make sure people know where to find you. <laughs> Definitely. <Thank> you. <laughs> I don't think you're very hard to find, but I'll make it easier for people. Uh, Thank Kimmy, you. this is my final question for you. It's my all-time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your mm-hmm. friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for sake of argument, but they've been able to get it and show it to you on your hundredth birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? That she was exactly who, who she said she was, that she was able to laugh at herself and at others heartily that She brought beauty and delight into the world for herself and for others. That her being here made an impact, especially on women knowing that they're allowed to be wherever it is that they want to be without apology. And that, and that she loved, she loved and was loved. It's a great send off message for people. Kemi, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, your advice, and your story. Thank you for sharing. I know I only really covered just the surface, but really do appreciate you for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you, Jay. It really has been a deep delight to spend time with you. Thank you. 
really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the Storybox, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.